Well, good evening, everybody. We didn't do announcements, but here's announcement number one. For the foreseeable future, we will meet in here on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock for worship. Is that fair? Then we're, we're going to look into it and, and kind of address it when it gets hot. Because as I looked at the everything for the year, it's really May, June, July, August. Those four months, that's when this really goes up. And we may just transition into there for that amount of time. Unless we just, by God's will, we haven't increased it, it won't even matter. That's our hope. That's our prayer. <laughs> Is that it fills up and it doesn't really matter. But um, I didn't give them any scriptures. So if you want to, if you would please, in your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 32. And we'll read verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> and I didn't mark anything so that we can do this together. I won't be super fast or... Genesis, first book of the Bible, that one's easy for all of us, Lord willing. 32, verses 9 through 12, if you'd stand when you find it. So this first thing, we're looking at an Old, Old Testament promise. Tonight we're going to be talking about prosperity, like real prosperity, not the prosperity that we know of today. Because prosperity that we hear preached and we hear taught is name it and claim it. You can name it and claim it. Your words have power. Well, your words do have power. But this is the power that your words actually have according to the Word of God is that there's coming a day when you will be judged by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Not the fact that I have the power to speak something into existence. I am not God. I am not a little God. I am filled with the very Spirit of God. And that Spirit should move and motivate me to do the things of God. Right? And that thing is not... He did not tell me that I should speak something into existence. That is impossible. Prosperity is not what most of us think it is. We think prosperity is the goods that we receive because we are selfish people. We're selfish because we're human beings and we want things that make us happy and please our flesh. True prosperity has nothing to do with anything but one thing, and that is the kingdom of God, which we belong to. So if we would, Genesis 32, 9 through 12, Jacob is recounting God's promise. This is what he says. He says, Jacob says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your own country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I, this is Jacob saying, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with his children. For you said, verse 12, for you God said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Father, we thank you for another chance to be in your house. I know we say that each time, God, but we don't take that lightly. Father, I thank you for each one who's gathered in here tonight. Lord, be with those who aren't able to be with us, Father. We ask in Jesus' name that you will begin to heal their bodies of physical infirmities, Lord. The sicknesses that they have, some are mental, Lord. Some are spiritual. There's great battles that are going on within the congregants of this church. Father, many are fighting spiritual battles, and we ask, God, that you would give them that which they seek after. Father, I pray that tonight they seek you, Lord, where they are. They find time to get in your word, and that, God, you would speak to them. Father, be with me as I deliver this word, because it's your word and not mine. Father, it's always yes and amen, and it won't return void. Father, I just ask that you be with us during this time, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Jacob said this. I love that in verse 12. He's talking to God. He says, For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Now this prosper, let's define that. In the Old Testament, 
to deal with goodly, to be good, or to succeed. <clears throat> now that means in every venture of, this, of his life. It does mean money, church. It does mean in goods. It does mean in things. It means in every facet of my life. But it's kind of what we talked about this morning in Sunday school, Matthew 6 and 33. What am I supposed to seek first? God's kingdom and His righteousness, and then He will add these things to me. Those things that He's talked about adding to you is not money, it's not prosperity, it's not those things. He stated three things that were basic needs that everyone has. I promise you food, I promise you water, and I promise you clothing. What did He promise the Israelites in the desert? He promised to free them from slavery and from captivity. But he, their clothes lasted 40 years. He fed them quail. He fed them manna. Water flowed from a rock, which we know later on in Hebrews is Jesus Christ. He made no provision. Nobody got rich in the desert. Nobody found prosperity in the desert. Matter of fact, a whole generation died in the desert. Thousands were swallowed up. Other thousands died. Prosperity is not what you and I think it is. And the only reason that I bring this up is this. This world is getting worse and worse. We talked about it in our evening class. We talk about this every time we come together because the Word of God says that's the way it is. And men will wax worse and worse as time goes by. And as people continue to preach a false gospel and a false narrative of prosperity, there's coming a time where people are going to stand back and they're going to go, where is this God of prosperity that I've heard about? And they're going to deny Him and they're going to turn away. And it's going to be because people stood in pulpits and they taught classes and they spoke untruths that they heard from other people who were truly ignorant of the Word of God. And they're going to go away and they're not going to live in eternity with, with our Father in heaven. We've got to portray this gospel as it is and the truth of what prosperity is in the life of a Christian. It is not money. It is not things. If it was, most of us have failed already. Brother Gene, you a millionaire yet? Oh, I mean... Brother Roger sold two of his vehicles so he could buy another vehicle. I mean, we're not a rich people. We're not, we don't have all these great things. Most of these large ministries and preachers even in our own community would tell you, you you're failing. Apparently you're not lining up with the will of God because you don't have what the Word of God says you should have. You should be able to name it and claim it. I can't find it. Can't find it in the Old Testament. Can't find it in the New. Only mentioned three times in the New Testament is the word prosper, and every one of them is fixing to cost you. Every one of them costs you something. So then we move on in Genesis 22, if you'd like to turn there. So he just, he just quoted back to God what God told him. Are we allowed to do that? You bet we are. I would hope that if God made you a distinct promise, it's your promise, and God made it to you, that you would remind God of the promise he made to you. God's never made me any promise, not audibly. The only promise that I have are the promises in his word. And you better believe that whenever things get hard and I get down, I recall those promises and me and him have a conversation. I am definitely not accosting him. I'm not telling him he's wrong. I'm just saying, God, you know how I know? You know how I know it's going to be okay? Because you promised. You promised to never leave me and never forsake me. You said that. I believe that. You promised that any weapon formed against me will not prosper, Lord. I know that's true. I know that anything that comes against me comes against me because you allowed it, but you have made a way for me to go through that and come out the other side victorious. That is every time. That sounds very much like a preacher that I don't like at all. But that's the truth. That sounds as close as you're ever going to hear from me for Smiley. That's about as close as you're going to get. There is victory in Jesus. There is. There always is. There is prosperity in this thing, but it's not for me. 
Because if y'all can remember what Paul reiterates over and over is, he's dead to self. He's dead to self. He lives his life now for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that is to do two things. To build the kingdom of God and to be sanctified more and more each and every day. That's his two goals. Leaving everything behind. I forsake everything. Moving forward. So in Genesis 22 and 15, this is Abraham and Isaac. We're just going to read 15 through 18 so we can remember. We know the story. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, he says, I indeed will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's what Jacob just said. Now Jacob said, my father, who's Jacob's father? Isaac. But his father's Abraham. So guys, we're only two generations removed from Abraham sacrificing Isaac. He's literally saying, imagine this. He's saying, God, whenever my grandpa brought my dad to kill him, you made sure that he didn't do that and you made a way. That's how close this is to the very beginning of what we consider recorded time. That's pretty early because Abram was just Abraham not too long ago, right? This is, and this is the first time that God has really challenged Abraham. So he's, he's recalling, you should do that. You should recall the promises of God. And what I love about it is, is whenever Jacob recounts this promise, he says prosper. He says, remember you told, you told my grandpa that you would prosper his people. We would be a prosperous people. Now that, that prosper meant that we would, we would increase in number. We would increase in knowledge and understanding. But it's verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's the prosperity that you and I have. The prosperity of the Old Testament is the fact that there was a way made for you and I that led to Jesus Christ, that led to you and I here tonight. Saved, born again, soon, Lord willing, soon to be glorified. That's the prosperity that I look at. That's what truly matters in this life. It's not physical things. They fall apart, they break, they burn, they're gone. But nobody can take away what the Lord has given me. Not one soul. The last one is Genesis 28. If you'd like to turn there, 28, 12 through, uh, 12 through 15. They call this Jacob's Ladder. We've, we've, these are just things that we know because we've been churched for a long time. So I'm just touching on them so we can see. Jacob's dream and God's promise, Genesis 28, 12 through 15. He had a dream and behold, a ladder was set on the earth. This is Jacob with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So they're going up and down this ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it all and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Because he's laying down with a rock as a pillow right now. If you remember, he says this in 14, Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And he made the same promise to you. That same promise belongs to you and I. 
What an amazing thing. And in 32, the first one that we read, Genesis 32, 9 through 12, all he's doing is reminding the Lord of what he told him. Do you remember the things that this word says? There's a reason that the word of God says to study it, to show yourself approved, to put that word in and the spirit that's in you will draw it out. The whole point of the spirit of God, John chapter 16 is what? To bring things to remembrance, to teach us things, to lead us in the way of the truth. Teach us all things. That's what was happening right here. He actually saw God. I'm trying to fathom that. He calls him the Lord. We know that's a theophany is what we, a Christophany, but it's Jesus Christ. But he sees him in a vision, in a dream. And he's standing there and he's telling him these things. It's kind of like Peter when he fell asleep and he had the vision. I haven't had that happen to me, church. If I want to hear from God, I just read his word because he's speaking to me every time I do. But that's where we are. This is, then we move on and we're not going to go through this, but everyone, do you remember Balak? Balak and Balaam. Balaam was a prophet. But Balaam was an evil prophet. And God knew he was an evil prophet. And Balak wanted to destroy Jacob. Because up to this point, guess what's happening? Exactly what God said. Jacob's people are prospering. They are growing tremendously. There's so many of them. And he, he goes to Balaam because he knows Balaam is a prophet of God. Now listen, Balaam was a prophet of God, but he was evil. And the way the Word says it, he went to hell. But he spoke on behalf of God because when God wants to use a vessel, that's exactly what he'll do. doesn't matter who you are or where you are. He'll use what's there. But in Numbers 23 and 24, there's four times Balaam tells Balak to go and build these altars. And he prays to God. And four times he prophesies from these four places, north, south, east, and west. What did we just read? Where did he say your people would prosper? From where? From the north, south, east, and the west. So at the north, at the south, at the east, and the west, in these mountainous regions, he's overlooking a valley where Joseph is encamped. And every time he says, I need you to curse him. I need you to curse him. And whenever he goes to do it, God opens his lips and allows him to speak. And every time he blesses him. That same promise that he made to him that he recalls in 32, God protected him. What did he just tell him? I will be with you the whole way and I promise you this. What I told you will be yours will be yours and you will be right back here. And we see that again. To me, that's amazing. And the, each time, Balak's like, what are you doing? I brought you here to curse him and all you're doing is you're giving him more power. And Balak says this, I'll give him that. I can only say what the Lord God tells me to say and I won't say anything else. Now, I may be a, a scalawag, and I'm going to do what I shouldn't, and I'm going to go and get money that I shouldn't, and I'm going to die for that. But whenever I, what I speak, it will be the true Word of God. That says a lot. That says a lot about how, how important is this vessel that's standing right here, just as important as the God you serve. Because there's absolutely nothing about me that's exceptional. I'd do the same thing as him. He'd have to send the angel to stop me, and the donkey to, to lay down in the road, because I wouldn't see because guess what? At times, we don't see prosperity for what it is. What people think prosperity is, is this place has 150 people in it. I'd rather have the 16 people that are here that are filled with the Spirit of God and believe truly in God and are rooted and grounded in that truth. That's more important than numbers. It's more important than filling seats. Because if those seats are filled and those people don't even tithe and they don't believe in the Word of God, that means absolutely nothing to the whole thing. If they're, not, if they're only here to fulfill an obligation to someone and they're not even listening to the Word of God or they're distracting someone else, God removes things that don't need to be in places. 
Someday that may be me. I'm not arrogant enough to think this is where I'll be my whole entire life or that I'll always live my life in Christ to, to be perfect. Paul said that, follow me as I follow Christ. The moment I step out of line, don't follow me anymore. That's how serious this is. That's why he says, seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Make sure your calling is right. You can't just say I am something and then just move on. There's way more to this life in Christ than that. It's a daily walk and it's repentance. So here's the awesome part about that. The initial promise recounted by Jacob protected him and from him came the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? So the 12 tribes of Israel. Through the line of Judah, we get King David. And David became a part of that promise and he was the first king in the line to Jesus Christ. And that eternal kingdom was promised to him in, it's in 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16. We won't go there. Nathan comes to him and he tells him, he, King David wanted to build a, he wanted to build a, a big, huge house. He said, I want to build you a house, Lord. You've done so much for me. You've been so good to me. I want to build you a house. And the Lord hears everything we say, guys. We don't have prophets now. That was, it would really be kind of nice every so often if we had a prophet and he would come and tell his stuff. And kind of, But that's not how it works. The Lord speaks to us through his spirit. And Nathan comes to him and says, the Lord's heard what you said, but this is what he says. There will never be, he, he will not, there will not be a house. There will not be anything built where he will reside. But he's going to send one. And through him, there will be an eternal kingdom. And through, through him, that's where he will abide. Where, where does the Spirit of God abide now? It abides in us because of Jesus Christ. But he also said something else that was really important. This is where everything changed in the Davidic covenant. He said, it doesn't matter. I won't do you like I did Saul. You want to talk about prosperity? Here's your prosperity. I won't render the kingdom from you, David, even if you do wrong. Because this is an eternal promise that Jesus Christ will, there is coming one in this line. If one does wrong, I will, I'll get the rod to him. But I'll never take it away like I did Saul. Saul could have done the same thing David did, but he chose to forsake God twice. And one time took on the role of a priest, which is a very big no-no in the Word of God. So that's where we find ourselves all the way to Jesus Christ. So we just went from our father Abraham through Isaac to his son Jacob through the tribe of Judah to King David to the promise he had of prosperity all the way to Jesus. And now we're in the New Testament and that's where we are today. So in the New Testament, prosperity is this. Prosper means to have a successful, gainful journey on the right path. That, I don't hear that, that. That could be a bunch of things, correct? Do you agree? It could be a lot of different things. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2, if you would. So I'm going to read that again so that we, we have our mindset right. I didn't hear anything about money or wealth. Uh, I didn't hear anything about a lot of property or any jet, not, not to mention four jets. Um, what I heard was to have a successful, gainful journey on what? What did I say there? On the what? On the right path. Now, now we're in Matthew chapter 7. You don't turn there, but where are we? There's a way... And then there's a broad way and there's a narrow way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. Correct, church? Proverbs, right? There's a way that we think, and that way is our flesh. Prosperity, the way we see it, will lead to destruction, ruination, and an eternity separated from a holy and righteous God. That's a guarantee. The prosperity that we seek. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2. And, I, and I'm not doing this on purpose. You want to know how God feels about tithing? You're about to find out. Because there's only three times in the, in the New Testament 
There are three times that tithing, is, that prosperity is mentioned. The word prosper, prospereth, or prosperity. The first one is talking about tithing. <clears throat> so let's just see. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2. What does the Lord say? On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections may be made when I come. L listen, I know that everybody in here is prospering because I see you're fully clothed. I know you have lights on at your house. None of us are poor. None of us are unfit. All of us could probably stand to lose some weight. You're all hydrated. You look pretty good today. You did your makeup. You did your hair. Some of you get your hair done. But people forsake giving God what's His. And I definitely, we had this conversation briefly in the beginning. 10% is just a tradition. The word never, ever, ever in the New Testament does it say that. It says to give liberally as such as you have. Give as your heart tells you to. Just give as your heart says. Here's the thing is, every one of us is filled with the Spirit and we have a conscience and we have convictions, right? You should be convicted if you don't give to the Lord what's the Lord's. And that's not only in your tithes and your worship. That's in your time, 24 hours in a day. That's in the abilities that He's given you to minister to His people. Why did He give you gifts? What is the Word saying? Okay, we're going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He gave us gifts for the common good of the body. If you can do anything that can help this body, aid this body, edify this body, you're supposed to use it for this body. That's the reason you had it. Because the Word says, when He's talking about the servants, He says, here's what I'll do is, that servant that didn't do anything but hide it and never use it, I'll take it away from him. He didn't say He was going to take away your salvation. We're not going there. What He said is, is that which I've given you, those things that I've given you to help further and build up my kingdom, I can take them away just like I gave them to you because they came from me. For the common good of the body. Use the things God has given you for the common good of the body. And I'm telling you right now, your money's part of it. You don't have to like that. And this is where the problem is because it speaks to tithing. Tithing is a part of a successful journey on the right path right there. Number one, it's a battle with the flesh to give what is due. True prosperity costs you. This is lesson number one of what it costs. True prosperity costs you. Right here. Malachi, if you want to turn there because I'm reading it. And it is one of the most, oh goodness, last, one, last book of the Bible and the Lord had some things to say. But Malachi chapter 3, he, he lays this out exactly what we're talking about here out of 1 Corinthians. Please understand that this is God speaking and not me. I'd rather not talk about it most of the time because it does upset people. But it says the truth has set you free. That's what the Word of God says. And this is the truth from the Word of God. This is what He says. Malachi 3, 1-11, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And that can't be. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, to the messenger. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand where he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the, to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former days. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be as swift a witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely 
and against those who oppress the wage earner and his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien. And do not fear me, says the Lord. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Why are they not consumed? Because he made a promise. Remember, we read that earlier. This is the last book of the, of the Old Testament. And he's still saying, the only reason I haven't consumed you is because I made a promise to Father Abraham. That was a promise to Isaac that I promised Jacob that he recalled to me. I mean, y'all, this is seamless. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Let's see how he says return. Do you understand? He just asked a question and he's about to answer it. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. <clears throat> Excuse me. And test me now in this way, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. I used to hate tithing. My wife would do it and it would make me furious. Because whenever we, before I was a saved man and she was saved, thank God, she would give to the Baptist children's home because I wouldn't go to church. So she sent it to them. But she always tithed. And she tithed of my money, and that was my money. How dare you give my money to anybody? That's a horrible attitude. You know why? Because I wasn't saved. A person who doesn't want to give their tithe to the Lord has a real problem. There's a problem, and it's called salvation. I understand it costs you. And let me tell you something. I could take my tithe, and I could go and I could have a brand new truck. I could pay the note on a truck. I could have a brand new boat, a bigger boat. It's not the point. What God does with the portion that's left over, listen to me, what God has done with the portion that's left over in the last 10 years, we couldn't do with all of it before. <laughs> I, I don't, And I can't understand it. I can't understand how it's possible. I don't know how when I was out of work for two months and I got just a portion of my pay, how the money came. And here's the thing. You know how we prosper? Some of that prosperity came from people in this church. Somebody hands you a check. It says, I'm, the Lord says you have a need. That's prosperity, guys. You know why? Because I did have a need. And I needed to pay something. I needed to buy groceries. Right? God beats our needs, but it's not always the way we think it should be. We think we should earn it because we're Americans and that's what we've been taught. And we should do what's right. But sometimes the way God prospers us is through His people. We prosper other people. Why? Someone says that they need something to eat. What does the Word of God say? We tell them, okay, good, and send them on their way? Of course not. We feed that person. We clothe that person. We give that person something to drink. Y'all, that's prosperity. And here's the great thing is, Peter, of all people, he always had to ask questions. He, he would have been a very aggravating congregant because he was always seemed to be contentious. Because he, he said this one time to Jesus. They're having a conversation. And Jesus is talking about what everyone's going to get. Everybody's going to get the same reward in the end. And Peter says, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. What about those of us who have forsaken our families and have forsaken our houses? We've forsaken our jobs. We're just roaming around with you. We don't have a place to lay our head. We didn't sign up for all of this. What did Jesus tell him? Do y'all remember? He said those who do that here will have a hundredfold. Not only there, but here. And I never understood that, even as a young Christian, until my life got hard. 
And then I realized what it meant. It meant that now I have, I used to have a family and they're McNeely's. And now I have a family of God. You want to know how God prospers you? Everywhere I go in the world, I can find someone who's part of my family now. And they can help me. And just like Brother Roger said, my spirit can know their spirit and our spirits can talk to one another. And in my time of need or trouble, no matter where I am, God promises He will send a provision for me. And a lot of times that provision is us. We prosper because we help one another. That's an amazing thing about, that's New Testament prosperity. It's not about money. It's about giving. It's about the things that we receive from those who are God's people. So that, that's a tough one, I understand. Romans chapter 1, verse 10. It's not meant to be a slight, and I don't say it angrily. It's just the truth. And the great part is, <clears throat> God's given us all one another. And I really do thank God for that. I'm not saying that just to say it. I'm speaking lightly. I am very thankful for y'all because this church has helped me over the last 10 years in ways they'll never understand, ever. So we have Romans, Romans 1 and 10. Paul says this, Always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. And that succeed when it's defined out as prosper. In the King James it's prosper. It's the second prosper of the New Testament in order. Now this is the thing. This is the beginning of... He's, he's writing the letter to the Romans. Where is Paul going to die? He's going to die in Rome. He knows this because unlike you and I, Paul had already been told that he was going to die in a certain place. Because here's what would happen. If, if the Lord told Matt McNeely, Brother, you're going to die in Hickory Cutoff. I'd never go that way to go to the lake. I'd go put in at Ski Point every time. You understand? He told Paul, and let me tell you something about that that's amazing. Paul was striving to get to Rome as fast as he could. Prosperity, prosper me on my journey. So let's go back. He just asked the Lord, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may prosper in coming to you. Prosper. Okay, have a successful, gainful journey on the right path. That's a good prayer. That's an excellent prayer. I pray, what do we learn? He's a... Lamp unto my feet, a light unto my heart. We pray that God does what? That every footstep that we put down, that He leads and directs that footstep. That's all Paul was praying. He's praying Old Testament. He's saying, Lord, the things that I know, please help me along this journey. Now, I'm going to be quite honest with you. Paul was asking the Lord for a successful, prosperous journey to Rome where he's going to die. That journey cost Paul more than any of us have ever paid. There's not a soul. We could take the collective whatever you want to call it, of this whole congregation right here, and we've never been persecuted as a whole as much as Paul was on his journey. Oh my goodness. Does your idea of prosperity and success align with those of God? Because here's what he said. He was praying in God's will. He believed in God's will. And God did according to His will. And everything He endured was prosperous. Was it prosperous really for Him? Not, not the way we see it. It's going to cost you. Turn to 2 Corinthians. We're just going to see there's more than one of these, but this one is the most detailed. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is the most detailed description of what Paul endured as he was in the will of God, walking in the right path, as he's, air quotes, prospering for the kingdom of God. 
2 Corinthians, this is just one list of what he endured. So 2 Corinthians 11 and 23. I want you to put yourself in his place and I want you to ask this question. Do I think that that sounds prosperous to me? He says, <clears throat> excuse me, in 23, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, more imprisonment, beaten times without number, often in danger. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, in the, in the water, in the ocean. Okay. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger on the sea, dangers among cross brethren. I have been in labor, in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger, in thirst, often without food and cold exposure. Oh, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. You, anybody ever had anything like that happen in their walk with God? Let me tell you, and I'm not being ugly, I'm being honest because that's just how I am. The majority of people that I know, if half of this, a fraction of this happened, they'd turn from God and they'd run the other way. That's just the reality of it. Because I watch people turn away from God because somebody in the church upset them. How ignorant is that? Of the Word of God, that's ignorant of the Word of God. You are a baby in Christ. True prosperity costs you because it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God in building His kingdom. Paul sacrificed all of those things. Why? Why did he do that? Because he understood that what he was doing was he was prospering others. What have we, what have we learned in Galatians, throughout all of Galatians? I mean, guys, what, who are we supposed to do good to? Those of the household of God especially. We're supposed to help one another bear their burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. That's all Paul was doing. Paul was something that we will never be. A true follower to a T of the word of Jesus Christ as he progressed closer to his death. That's the hope that I have for each and every one of us. Is it not yours? That the closer I get to my glorification, the more what? The more Christ-like I am. That's the whole goal of Christianity. The whole goal of me being saved is... We talked about this so much, especially early on, and I never could understand holiness. Brother Gene's teaching holiness in the class. And I'm, what does that have to do with anything? What, why does that even matter? Why is everybody throwing this word holy around? Because God is holy and He's called me to be holy. And I can't be holy unless it's the, the only righteousness I have is whose? That of Jesus Christ. Listen, prospering is going to cost you. It's going to cost you your flesh. You're going to have to die to self in order to prosper according to the Word. And the last one is 3 John 2. This is the last time that it's mentioned. So that's 3 John. That's after 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, verse 2, because there's no chapters. 3 John 2. That is something, isn't it? <clears throat> he, he was a revelator and the writer of many things, and he wrote these each one of these also. 3 John, this is what he says, 3 John 2, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now there's two things that he said right here. 
Is your soul more prosperous than the other facets of your life? Because guess whose was? Gaius's was. Because when he says, even as, what he's doing is he's making a comparison. He says, I hope that your life that you live that's physical, your physical health, the things that you get are as prosperous as your soul is because your soul has prospered so much that it's the prospering of your soul is greater than anything I can see in your physical life. Boy, what is that like? Nobody can say that about me. I mean, I'm just being honest. That, that's not a normal thing to say about a person. That you can see the growth in who they are in Christ, in their soul, in the way they work, in the way that they do things with other people, that you can tell that they've prospered in their Christian walk with God more than they have in their life. You know why? I have a house. I have three vehicles. I have shotguns. I have rifles. I have all kinds of things. Most people would say, Brother Matt has a lot more earthly goods than he has prosperity in his soul. That's a sad thing. Do I speak the name of Jesus among people? Do they know that that's who I serve? Do they know that I love Him? Or do I just talk about the things I have? Do I talk about the hobbies that I have and the sports that I play and the things that I go and do? Or do I talk about Jesus? Because my life, there's a lot of prosperous lives in this church. But how many of us are truly prospering in our soul, in our walk with God? And that's what he's trying to say. Prosperity of the soul is what actually counts in John's eyes. John's been, he's, he's been through a lot of things. He understands what really is meaningful in life. Is your soul prospering? Prosperity of the soul is going to cost you. Why is it going to cost you, Brother Matt? 2 Timothy 3 and 12. I'm going to turn to it. You don't have to, but I think we all know it. This is one of those, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, will suffer persecution. It's going to cost you, church, to live in Christ for your soul to prosper. It's going to cost you. You will be persecuted. But not a one of us has been persecuted like Paul. None of us in here that I know of have given one drop of blood for this gospel. We pray. We pray and we seek and we love. But I've never lost a drop of blood over the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you what, there's coming a day where those will. And we have to be the church. And we have to teach these children. And we have to teach our loved ones what true prosperity is. So when that time comes and they begin to spill the blood to the saints, they don't turn from the truth of what the gospel is. The gospel, prosperity of the gospel, is not what I get. It's what the kingdom of God gains from the fact that I was allowed in it by the grace of God. That's not going to preach real good. That's not going to teach real good in and it definitely won't go over in a mega church. But I pray that here it does. I pray that that resounds with the Spirit, as Brother Roger said, the Spirit that's within you. I hope that it can see that that is the truth. <clears throat> Second Corinthians, I'm going to read to you. This is just a summation of two verses. Second Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. We prosper for kingdom's sake, not for self-gain. So Second Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. He didn't say, what did he just say? You would have everything so that for every good deed. He didn't say so you could have the nicest car and boat and truck for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. But listen at 10. Now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This sounds like this is all about God. It sounds like He's just giving me the tools that I need to further His kingdom. Well, how's that benefit me? 
I'm just, you know, that's the thought process. How am I benefited? You're not in your flesh. You are definitely not benefited in your flesh because people are cantankerous and they're contentious and they're hateful. And you try to reason with them. Brother Gene was talking about that. We were talking to sit. You try to reason with people. You try to explain the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they will not hear it because they're smarter than you and they know more than you. And they're wrong. And if they continue on the path that they're on, guys, they're, they're not going to make it. But he ends in saying, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Everything that we are enriched in, everything is the, the ultimate purpose of us being here is to glorify God and live with Him forever. That's what he's saying. He gives us the things that we need, but in return, we do His will. And there in that, part of His will is good deeds. We can, go, we can go to James chapter 2 and talk about that all day, but we don't have time. And the last one being Philippians 3 and 10. We prosper in power and sufferings. Everybody, prosperity gospel is about power. I have the power. I have the power to speak it in existence. I have the power to create. I have the power to change my life. No, you don't. Christ does. God does. In Christ you can. The problem is this. Philippians 3 and 10 says this, that I may know Him, that is Christ Jesus, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. That's what Paul truly lived. And I pray that Matt McNeely one day can do the same because I failed terribly at it. That's just the truth. But yet I stand here just as Balaam, just as rocks, just as everything else, trying to appeal to you through the Word of God what true prosperity is, what it means to prosper. Let me tell you, everybody in here, we are a prosperous people. First Peter 2 and 9 says that we are part of a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people. Y'all, we have something that nobody else has. And that's a promise that was given to our father, Abraham, that there would be a seed and that from that seed would come Jesus Christ and from Christ there would come redemption. And from that redemption, you and I would get to spend eternity with God in heaven. And I know that on this side of heaven, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but it does in the grand scheme of things because there's coming a day and we can't fathom it just yet when none of this is going to matter. All that's going to matter is that we spend eternity in heaven in perfection with the God who loved us enough to pull us from darkness and shine His marvelous light on us. That's prosperity. Prosperity is that you and I have life in us and that life begets life and that we're ministers and ambassadors of reconciliation. We have the ability through Christ to prosper others and thereby do what? Prosper the kingdom of heaven and build it up. That's the big problem that we have. And it was in, here's the thing, it's not a new problem. Because what did Jesus said? He said, harvest it. Look at the fields, they're white. They're ready for harvest, but what do they not have? We don't have harvesters. We don't have harvesters. We don't have people who will truly spread the Word of God, who will sow the Word of God, who will put the time in. But we will put so much time into every hobby we have, into everything we have, and this comes last. It doesn't matter if this runs right. It doesn't matter if anything's right about it. All that matters is that I did what I wanted to, and it got done. Everybody else can figure the rest of it out. That is not a prosperity mindset. That's a mindset of self. 
And I'm telling you, it's leading people down a very terrible road, slowly but surely. That's why there's churches closing everywhere. Wednesdays and Sundays are no longer sacred. No day is sacred anymore to the world. Used to, when I was a kid, there wasn't even stores open on Sunday. Now, whatever happens on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday happens on Sunday. There's no reverence for God or the things of God anymore. And it's, and it's because of preaching and false doctrines that have led people astray and tell them, you, you made a commitment to the Lord one time, you can live your life however you want to and you'll be all right. That's not true, church. That's not true at all. That's as far from the truth as you can find. This is the deception of the devil. If you would, Brother Josh. Father, we thank you again for another time to be in your house. God, I, I pray, Lord, that this word was true. Father, that it resounded with us. That God, as you say, that it would be engrafted into who we are. That it would become who we are. Not in the coming year. I'm not about that, Lord. But for the duration of our life, God, that the truth that we heard tonight will become who we are. And we wouldn't just be hearers of this word, but we would be doers of this word. Because there is a day and a time that's coming that the perfect law of liberty is going to come back and He's going to judge. He's going to judge us for the things that we have and we haven't done. And Father, many are going to be found unrighteousness. Unrighteous and they're, going to, they're not going to make it, God. Many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, and He will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I pray, God, that we see what true prosperity is and that we, we in our own selves, through the Spirit of God, take advantage of what You've given us and that we will truly seek out Your kingdom and Your righteousness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.